The government's newly released national cultural policy is a comprehensive roadmap establishing the priorities of the federal government in terms of art and culture. It builds on Labor's Creative Australia document, first put forward by the former Gillard government in 2013, but later scrapped under the coalition. Speaking at the launch of the policy, Arts Minister Tony Burke said, Whether you're reading a thriller, a history or a poem, whether you're watching from formal allocated seating or from a mosh pit, whether you view art in a gallery or in a back lane from the side of a wall, our artists work for all of us and their works reach all of us. And this policy revive restores the place of art, of entertainment, of culture for all Australians. But how might the policy, which is putting First Nations first, impact Indigenous artists and arts organisations? Francesca Cabello is the Executive Director of First Nations Arts and Culture at Australia Council for the Arts. I asked her why she thinks we even need a national cultural policy. I think Australia does need a national cultural policy um, so that they can look to, they can reference, they can understand, they can start to become acquainted with First Nation principles that really inform how this continent has evolved um, since millennia. So I'm pretty excited to be um, at council and Very excited to start the conversation with our First Nation creatives in terms of what might this national cultural policy mean for them and also to hear from them in terms of where the investment can truly benefit our mob, where we are, be it in the cities, in the regional towns, in those remote regions and, of course, You know, our our culture is based on principles of intergenerational care. It's based on principles of family, community. You know, and these principles about the collective looking after each other. And so I'm very excited to begin the conversation with Mob to see how we might really utilise this opportunity to uh, realise people's visions for their own mob for their families, so for their communities. $286 million over five years that's going across music, art, film, literature. And a really big step is the creation of a First Nations-led board. What will that do? What we're looking at is an investment from the federal government towards these pillars, these activations across government. Uh, And, of course, we at uh, Council, the Australia Council, have been in place for the last 50 years and uh, we celebrated, started the celebration of honouring the legacy of all of our remarkable leaders who have gone before who who really set the agenda at Council, the first Aboriginal Arts Board. And we had Purumpa and we had this remarkable gathering and and we started the conversation. And obviously, obviously, the government looked to this 
important moment of First Nation leadership. They obviously are having conversations outside of council with remarkable First Nation leaders and uh, they recognise it's time to actually have First Nation people front and centre with this new policy. At council, First Nation have been front and centre since its very beginning. And so when we see the first pillar as First Nations first, and then we look to all the other pillars, we can see First Nation principles uh, that really are foundational to those pillars as well. So, uh, yes, there is elements in the First Nations first pillar which fall within the area of council or, um, as we will soon be known, um, from the 1st of July as Creative Australia, out of this investment, there is some 35.5 million that will be allocated from the 1st of July 2024 for First Nations uh, investment. And obviously the other areas of that, there will be First Nation investment across those areas as well. There is the establishment of Music Australia. There is the establishment of the Centre for Arts and Entertainment Workplaces. There is the establishment of uh, Writing Australia, which will happen in 2025. There is the incorporation of the important role of Creative Partnerships Australia into uh, the council as part of its remit. And so there are all of these remarkable changes which will see an expansion of council's remit. When you think of the Australia Council for the Arts, we often think of it initially as an organisation that is a funding agency. And uh, for us... It is that, but it's also about investment. It's about thinking about the complexity of creativity and all of its remarkable nuanced elements. It is increasing that brief so that it is not only engagement with public investment, but it's a conversation with the private sector about investment. And it's also a conversation um, with the commercial sector as well. I mean, when we think about First Nations music, First Nations literature, when we think about First Nations um, uh, fashion and textile design, there is that element of investment which is helping the individual in their creative practice. It is about helping small to medium First Nation organisations to build their projects to build capacity within the community to engage with the broader sector. And it's also about the commercial element. What happens when, you know, my licensing of a song, what happens in terms of distributions of publications? So with this increase in the remit of 
Creative Australia, we are thinking not only about the areas where we've invested so strongly up until this point, but also thinking about the creative industries more broadly through not only investment in the public sector, investment in private, but also looking at commercial outcomes and real economic benefits for our First Nations mob. So it's not just a name change. It's an increase in the responsibility and the role and the way in which we'll engage more broadly. I'm Black Douglas, Koori artist from Sydney, hailing from Darug country originally, now living on Gallagher land, but my dreaming is from Jerseyville, southwest rocks, mid-north coast, Dungadi country. Now, Black Douglas, your Archibald-winning portrait of Carla Dickens offered a number of very pointed critiques about both government investment and institutional practice when it comes to artists and particularly paying artists. First, do you mind walking us through what those were? I think probably the one poignant cryptic little metaphor in the painting which started the biggest grass fire was the one addressing the 50-50 commercial um, commission taken by the upper echelon of commercial galleries today. And it's something that I'm really surprised that Nava did not take uh, the bulls by the horn with when I suggested that they should. But rather, uh, it seemed to have fallen on deaf ears, my my, um, intended attack on resetting the playing field commensurately at 60-40, which I think is much fairer for artists, particularly emerging artists. In this national policy, widespread phenomenon. And it's not just in the visual arts. This is a widespread phenomenon and one that was heightened over the last three years due to the COVID-19 pandemic, as well as natural disasters like the bushfires and floods. Here's Francesca Cabillo again. I think what we can um, see from this, this policy is that the artist's becomes um, valued um, and respected as worker, not as um, somebody who, who who is part of a cottage industry or a gig economy, but rather that uh, they are valued and recognised for the critical role they play in people's well-being and mental health. And... Uh, through that repositioning artist as worker, there are all these mechanisms now in this policy to address workplace practice, to address uh, cultural protocols and safety. Uh, There are conversations that are now being had in terms of how do we ensure that artists have got a real place and a a sustained income. Um, I think it is obviously very early days in terms of the thinking behind it, but 
What we've found in the development of this policy was that with this new government, they recognised that the pandemic had a huge impact on our creatives. We must recognise the innovation that came but equally understand totally the the mental health, the lack of income, the lack of security people felt and isolation. And and equally we realised that as a community the first thing that we all went to when we were in lockdown was we listened to music, we we looked to books, um, we read more, we even pulled out, you know, little painting kits and um, I don't know about you, Rudy, but I started so many weaving projects, right? You know, I, I went to YouTube and I saw aunties and... Um, teaching how to, um, you know, jumpy weavers, you know, how to do weaving. And we went to that creative world and we went to artists who have shared through their practice um, and, and we found solace and we found belonging and we found our humanity in that regard again. And I don't think it was lost on anybody. Um, I strongly believe that this policy is very mindful of what we all experienced. Obviously, the minister uh, convened, uh, 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 really, um, he sought advice from the sector. There was a call for submissions to so that everyone could contribute to sharing their experiences, be it organisations, individuals and or communities, um, share their experience of what sustained us, what did we learn from it and how can we be prepared as a community moving forward when we come out. Ilbidgery Theatre Company's co-artistic director, Rachel Mazza, along with Wesley Enoch and Claire Coleman, made up part of the advisory group of First Nations industry stakeholders who looked at submissions made to Minister Burke's office during the consultation process. Rachel described it as an extraordinary process, saying there were over 2,000 submissions from First Nations arts community, saying there were over 2,000 submissions from the First Nations arts community who took the time to share their experiences and expertise. I'm like, yeah, First Nations First is the first pillar and it's it's embedded throughout the, the policy in such a, um, a, a, a well-worked-in um, and well-thought-through, researched. Yeah, anyway, it's just, it's fantastic. I'm super, oh, what's that word, just relieved and, and excited um, and hopeful for what's possible. I absolutely understand, you know, I could always have, there could have been more dollars attached to it, but that's actually that's actually not what this was about. This is about having a foundational document that says in black and white what you stand for and in the in that kind of foundational prioritization of arts and culture as a as a key component of of who we are as a nation. you know, like it's really groundbreaking. 
And I think that they've done an extraordinary job. I'm really happy with how all that work that we've put in, in in kind of garnering what people, what the main themes were that were rising through the applications. And I really feel like that's that's what's made its way in there. And it really is truly reflective of the of the very well articulated and thought through feedback that came from the from the greater sector. What's one of the themes you think needed to be addressed? What I've been very um, really keen on articulating like and speaking up about and addressing is a really long overdue um, uh, lack of investment and strategy around where are the career pathways into the arts and I don't mean just being an actor like all across so what is those strategies that are going to see more of our mob realizing for one thing that there's a whole raft acting's just five percent of what what the work um, opportunities are in the performing arts. So I'm really, and it, and basically nothing's shifted. Like when I've, I've been in the game, there is one Aboriginal set designer in this country. You know, it's it's absolutely outrageous. I'm like, I, okay, I've been at Aboriginal for 15 years. How come there's still only one? <laughs> it's like, what the hell? Um, Jacob Nash based in Sydney. Um, so needless to say, everyone's trying to get a piece of him. Um, there's two now lighting designers, um, uh, which we'll be working with those guys as well. Anyway, you know, it's just like, this is not good enough. We're now talking about self-determination and determining our own narratives and being at this, this, you know, here's a government who's acknowledging, um, their, our stories matter, you know, as the first peoples of this country, the oldest living continuous culture on this planet. You know, we have a really critical and, and um, central place, a positioning in in our identity as a nation. Our stories matter. So I really, um, so we, I feel like we're getting that. Australia is like waking up and it's like, yeah, cool. We want to, this is actually a real, this enriches us all. So we're, and it's, but but the reality is, if the demand to come to start seeing our stories is is exponentially growing, it's like, well, where's the teams? Where's the people to make it? It's actually a real problem. It's actually a crisis. So one of the big priorities, and I picked, and this was really clear in all the submissions. It was like, where's the where's the person who's going to take my position, or where's the black fellow who executives who can lead this company? There's a real. It's right across the board. People have identified this massive gap, and it's a little bit like, um, you know, talking about women. Uh, in Parliament, for instance, you know, and you in that whole debate of do you have affirmative action or not? Well, what doesn't work is doing nothing. Do you have any concerns about First Nations-led companies like Ilbidgery being used as kind of a training ground for emerging arts makers, only for larger non-Indigenous companies to swoop in and scoop up those people once they've got experience and they've hit their kind of mid-career? because those non-Indigenous companies have more resources and bigger budgets and... Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'd, I'd kind of reframe, I'd frame reframe that slightly it. differently. Yeah. It's actually that we acknowledge that we're probably the best positioned to be able to support and hold our mob in training them and uplifting them in the roles and so that they get to learn in a safe, culturally safe environment 
in a in a way where they felt validated and heard and supported and and they're going to shine in those roles because this is the reality we we acknowledge that that's a role we stretch our art dollars to, to as far as we can so that we can squeeze in opportunities wherever we can and then uh, at some point uh, they see an ad for a producer over at art center who's offering heaps more than we can and off they go so it's it in hindsight it feels like oh so we're doing all the training and then off they go. In a, in a, in a kind of um, philanthropic sense, I'm like, well, that's fantastic. We're actually growing the sector. That's been my big whinge is like, where are they? So it, I think it's great that, you know, we're contributing and feeding into that, to addressing this massive issue. The problem is we're not resourced to do it. And when, and hence, hence it, it's a constant pressure on our organisations. So one thing I am super, super, super excited and proud about this arts and cultural policy is that embedded as one of the high priorities for this new formed Creative Australia, the new Australia Council um, aside, is to develop an, a career pathway strategy. And this is so long overdue, super exciting. We've been doing a lot of work in this space, so we're really hands up. We're, we're very happy to sit and work alongside the team there um, in de- in the developing of this strategy. Um, because uh, then you know it's let's let's really shake this up and watch out, Australia. You know, let's see what you. It, it's going to be. It's the renaissance of black work. You know, no no one policy can be all things to everyone. And it is, at the end of the day, it is simply a policy. And it's the first one that we've seen in a number of years. What would you say to people who are concerned um, concerned that the needs that they see within their sector are not being met or are maybe not being fully addressed yet? You know, we're really keen to to talk to people about how this new investment framework is going to going to really be effective with MOB. Um, and we will do that through talking face-to-face with people. And, uh, and, and we will be convening briefings as well um, so that our community can know that we are very committed to hearing from them, and that we will we will have uh, uh, a process of consultation that we will fold out, um, roll out over the next twelve months. Francesca Cabillo there, speaking about the new national cultural policy. She's the executive director of First Nations Arts and Culture at Australia Council for the Arts, soon to be called Creative Australia. You also heard from visual artist Black Douglas and Ilbidgery Theatre Company's co-artistic director, Rachel Mazza. Listen to more great stories that take you beyond the headlines. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN. There was a call for submissions to so that everyone could contribute to sharing their experiences, be it organisations, individuals and or communities, um, share their experience of what sustained us, what did we learn from it and how can 
we be prepared as a community moving forward when we come out. Ilbidgery Theatre Company's co-artistic director, Rachel Mazza, along with Wesley Enoch and Claire Coleman, made up part of the advisory group of First Nations industry stakeholders who looked at submissions made to Minister Burke's office during the consultation process. Rachel described it as an extraordinary process, saying there were over 2,000 submissions from First Nations arts community, saying there were over 2,000 submissions from the First Nations arts community who took the time to share their experiences and expertise. I'm like, yeah, First Nations First is the first pillar and it's it's embedded throughout the, the policy in such a, um, a, a, a well worked in um, and well thought through, researched. Yeah, anyway, it's just, it's fantastic. I'm super, oh, what's that word? Just relieved and, and excited um, and hopeful for what's possible. I absolutely understand, you know, I could always have, there could have been more dollars attached to it, but that's actually, that's actually not what this was about. This is about having a foundational document that says in black and white what you stand for and in the in that kind of foundational prioritization of arts and culture as a as a key component of of who we are as a nation you know like it's really groundbreaking and i think that they've done an extraordinary job i'm really happy with how all that work that we've put in 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 kind of garnering what people what the main themes were that were rising through the applications and i really feel like that's that's what's made its way in there and it really is truly reflective of the of the very well articulated and thought through feedback that came from the from the greater sector what's one of the themes you think needed to be addressed what i've been very um really keen on articulating like and speaking up about and addressing is a really long overdue um uh, lack of investment and strategy around where are the career pathways into the arts and i don't mean just being an actor like all across. So what is those strategies that are going to see more of our mob realising, for one thing, that there's a whole raft. Acting's just 5% of what what the work um, opportunities are in the performing arts. So I'm really... And, it, and basically nothing's shifted. Like when I've, I've been in the game, there is one Aboriginal set designer in this country. You know, it's it's absolutely outrageous. I'm like, okay, I've been at the Bridge for 15 years. How come there's still only one? <laughs> it's like, what the hell? Um, Jacob Nash based in Sydney. Um, so needless to say, everyone's trying to get a piece of him. Um, there's two now lighting designers, um, uh, which we'll be working with those guys as well. Anyway, you know, it's just like, this is not good enough. We're now talking about self-determination and determining our own narratives and being at this, this, you know, here's a government who's acknowledging um, their, our stories matter, you know, as the first peoples of this country, the oldest living continuous culture on this planet, you know, we have a really critical and, and um, central place, a positioning in, in our identity as a nation. Our stories matter. So I really, um, so we, I feel like we're getting that. Australia is like, 
waking up and it's like, yeah, cool. We want to, this is actually a real, this enriches us all. So where, and it's, but, but the reality is if the demand to come to start seeing our stories is, is exponentially growing, it's like, but where's the teams? Where's the people to make it? It's actually a real problem. It's actually a crisis. So one of the big priorities, and I picked, and this was really clear in all the submissions. It was like, where's the where's the person who's going to take my position, or where's the black fellow who executives who can lead this company? There's a real. It's right across the board. People have identified this massive gap, and it's a little bit like, um, you know, talking about women. Uh, in Parliament, for instance, you know, and you in that whole debate of do you have affirmative action or not? Well, what doesn't work is doing nothing. Do you have any concerns about First Nations-led companies like Ilbidgery being used as kind of a training ground for emerging arts makers, only for larger non-Indigenous companies to swoop in and scoop up those people once they've got experience and they've hit their kind of mid-career? Because those non-indigenous companies have more resources and bigger budgets, and yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'd, I'd kind of reframe. I'd frame reframe that it differently. Yep. It's actually that we acknowledge that we're probably the best positioned to be able to support and hold our mob in training them and uplifting them in the roles, and so that they get to learn in a safe, culturally safe environment. In a, in a way where they felt validated and heard and supported and, and they're going to shine in those roles because this is the reality. We we acknowledge that that's a role. We stretch our art dollars to, to, as far as we can so that we can squeeze in opportunities wherever we can. And then uh, at some point uh, they see an ad for a producer over at Art Centre who's offering heaps more than we can and off they go. So it's it in hindsight it feels like, oh, so we're doing all the training and then off they go. In a, in a, in a kind of um, philanthropic sense, I'm like, well, that's fantastic. We're actually growing the sector. That's been my big whinge is like, where are they? So it, I think it's great that, you know, we're contributing and feeding into that, to addressing this massive issue. The problem is we're not resourced to do it. And when and hence, hence it, it's a constant pressure on our organisations. So one thing I am super, super, super excited and proud about this arts and cultural policy is that embedded as one of the high priorities for this new formed Creative Australia, the new Australia Council um, aside, is to develop an, a career pathway strategy. And this is so long overdue, super exciting We've been doing a lot of work in this space, so we're really hands up. We're, we're very happy to sit and work alongside the team there um, in de- in the developing of this strategy. Um, because uh, then you know it's let's let's really shake this up and watch out, Australia. You know, let's see what you. It, it's going to be. It's the renaissance of black work. You know, no no one policy can be all things to everyone. And it is, at the end of the day, it is simply a policy. And it's the first one that we've seen in a number of years. What would you say to people who are concerned um, concerned that the needs that they see within their sector are not being met or are maybe not being fully addressed yet? You know, we're really keen to to talk to people about how this 
new investment framework is going to going to really be effective with mob. Um, and we will do that through talking face to face with people and uh, and and we will be convening briefings as well um, so that our community can know that we are very committed to hearing from them and that we will we will have uh, uh, a process of consultation that we will, fold out, um, roll out over the next 12 months. Francesca Cabillo there, speaking about the new national cultural policy. She's the Executive Director of First Nations Arts and Culture at Australia Council for the Arts, soon to be called Creative Australia. You also heard from visual artist Black Douglas and Ilbidri Theatre Company's co-artistic director, Rachel Mazza. Listen to more great stories that take you beyond the headlines. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.